0: Welcome to one more edition of Politics and I'm McBerrto Willis, your host. Thank you so kindly for being with us. We have a very special guest today, and you guys are going to want to listen to this guy because he's one of the guys who busted the thing wide open. Miles Taylor is a public policy leader, best-selling author, and current senior fellow at the R Street Institute in Washington, D.C., where he focuses on emerging uh, technologies and public policy. Previously, Miles was Google's U.S. lead for advanced technology and security strategy, responsible for promoting next-generation cyber defense, digital security, and innovation in areas such as quantum computing, what I like, and artificial intelligence. He also served as the company's head of national security policy engagement but in 2018 taylor published an anonymous opinion piece in the new york times blowing the whistle on presidential misconduct as anonymous he later released the book a warning a first-hand account of the instability in sti- inside president trump's white house and administration miles taylor
1: welcome to politics and right how are you doing today Hey, my friend, I'm doing great. I'm, I'm glad you've got me. And for folks that are watching on video, I, I'm not trying to look like Nelly. I mean, I, I would like to think I'm as good of a rapper as Nelly, but the bandaid under my eye uh, is from a less than glorious episode. Well, you said
0: it had something to do with a puppy. I wanted to give it a better, a better thing. Like saying <laughs> this, that, that is a battle scars that you survive from all the things that you did in the past. But anyway, we want to get started in this fashion. Um, the Republican Party is in serious is in a serious dilemma. Look, you are on a very progressive show. Who wants to have a very strong conservative uh, backstop to make sure that when we put ideas together, we can get the best? We are not having that right now. And one of the things you did with your article in first of all, let, let's 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 back up. Why did you really write that article as
1: anonymous? Yeah. Look, I mean the. Uh... Perspective of distance from that decision makes it all the cl- all the more clear. Um, the big picture was that it was my opinion, based on firsthand experience with the president, this White House, and this administration, that the president was incredibly unfit for office, and not only that was was truly a danger to the fabric of our republic. Now, keep in mind, again, I'm mostly a lifelong Republican. I was I was a Democrat as, as a young guy. You guys lost me uh, at a young age. <laughs> maybe you'll maybe you'll That's get fine. me back. But uh, you know, I went in wanting this man to succeed, not having high expectations for a man of such deficient character as Donald Trump, but then being even more appalled than I would have expected about the way he conducted himself in office. That's the big picture reason. The immediate proximate cause, as I've told some people, was the night I wrote it. I got woken up by a phone call in the middle of the night in Australia, halfway around the world, where I was supposed to be meeting with our intelligence partners about serious threats to the country. And instead, I get a phone call from the White House deputy chief of staff who says the president wants the flags raised back up around the country. What he meant was Senator John McCain, who just passed away, was being honored across America because DHS had said, lower the flags to half mask out of respect for the late senator. Trump hated John McCain. He was so mad and he wanted the flags back up. I was so galled by that decision, I think partly because McCain had been a personal hero of mine and one of the few Republicans that I still had to look up to and He just passed away, and we were left with people like Donald Trump leading the party. Uh, And in that moment, I thought, I'm so disgusted by this. Someone just needs to say something. All of us inside the administration, almost all of us, knew what was going on, knew the president was incompetent. Most people were trying to keep bad ideas in the box. Um, But there came a point where those efforts to keep bad ideas in the box were no longer successful. Trump just started doing what he wanted to do. And as people have often said, the guardrails came off. So I felt like someone needed to say something. And I was frustrated that the cabinet secretaries that saw the situation the same way as me weren't speaking up. Well, you're So the, I decided to write the piece.
0: The, and it was a great piece. Let me just tell you, but I, I, I always have the question when I read the piece, did anybody else lead you to do that? Did they sort of inch you on like how you're the you're the guy who has the guts to do this. So let's go ahead and see if if you get caught well, you really don't care.
1: Yeah. Well look, I, I wish that had been the case. I mean, um, I secretly wished that the majority of the cabinet had, you know, enlisted me to write that thing on their behalf. And I happily would have been the fall guy. I mean I I, I wanted those people to to make their voice known. It was quite frankly the disappointment that those people weren't speaking up, that led me to write it. And, you know, I didn't hide my name out of, out of fear or cowardice. I'm happy for people to accuse me of being a coward, but um, I wrote it without my name on it because I knew that Donald Trump was the master of the politics of personal destruction. And he uses that to distract from ideas. So the only way to get him to confront the actual ideas in my original op-ed, and the ideas being that his own team thought he was incompetent, were to uh, was to remove my name from the equation. But my plan all along, as I later said in the book, was to reveal myself before the election because I wanted Trump to have to confront the ideas for as long as possible. But in the end game, I wanted to make clear that we all needed to unmask ourselves when it came to telling the truth about Donald Trump and shouldn't hide behind those masks. It was not terribly convenient for my personal life. Obviously, it, it caused my life to blow up. But I knew that we had to do that to send uh, that signal. So hopefully it made an impact. Uh, hopefully we convinced people of you know, what Trump's character really was and, and got enough Republicans to flip their votes for Joe Biden. First of all, that is why you're on here. Not only did it make an impact,
0: but it needs to make a further impact. That, that goes without saying. Now that said, um, uh, Miles, um, b- beforehand, tell us the name of your book, because I want, I want to make sure people read. It's good read.
1: Yeah, uh, the book is called A Warning, and um, I'd like to think that it hasn't completely aged now that uh, Trump has been defeated, because the warning was two parts. I mean, one, it was a warning about about a man of deficient character and why he shouldn't be reelected president. But it was also a warning about us. It was a warning about the direction that we're going as a country and as a people and the need to reflect on our national character, not just the character of one man, but the character of a nation. And and I think that warning has still yet to be heeded. I'm grateful for all of you that heeded the first warning and and helped get a a truly authoritarian man out of office. But that second warning really needs to be addressed. We need some focused time and attention and soul searching as a country about where we're going, namely, Egberto, where you started the podcast, that being the Republican Party. That's where a lot of the soul searching needs to happen. And, uh, and and I think that's where a lot of the corrosive influence our demo- on our democracy is coming from right now. I mean, I can't believe as a Republican I'm saying this, but the GOP is quite literally at the moment one of the biggest threats to our democracy because of the Republican Party leadership's unwillingness to simply tell the truth. And what's more, party leaders like Kevin McCarthy would rather bury the truth than face it. And we just saw you know, recently his decision. Uh, to to oppose uh, an inquiry into the events of January, of January 6th, 6th, the insurrection yeah. of the Capitol.
0: Now, look, Miles, you knew who Donald Trump was before you went to work for him. So here's yeah. the question. Did you go to work for him because you knew we needed patriots to stand up, having a guy like that in power, Or did you go in there with the expectation that maybe he'll be an incompetent president,
1: but he'll have good people around him? Yeah, I mean, look, what I, you know, the the day after I started in the administration, I had a friend reach out, uh, a friend who's a a Democrat, who said almost exactly this question, said, why are you working for this guy? Because my friend knew how I felt about Donald Trump. Of the 17 candidates in the field in 2020, he was number 17 out of 17. I did not want that man to win the White House. But I responded to my friend, I'm not going in to work for Donald Trump. I'm going in to work for you. I'm going in to work at DHS to prevent cyber attacks against our country, to protect the country from terrorist threats, man-made and natural disasters, and and other homeland security challenges. Ironically, though, managing a 250,000-person department, I had to spend most of my time managing up towards one person because he was so unstable, because he was so unwilling to focus. And and that's really, frankly, what scared me the most. And when I quit the administration and then I later wrote a piece in the Washington Post and said, look, my primary reason for exiting here is I think this man is actually a danger to the Homeland Security of the United States because Donald Trump couldn't focus on those serious threats that I went in, hoping we could address and confront to defend the American people. And I actually think the country is vastly less safe as a result of his presidency. And I don't just mean in the political sense and threats to our democracy and the insurrection that happened here in the nation's capital. I mean, real dangers to the country from people who want to do us harm, foreign adversaries, terrorists, cyber criminals. We're in greater danger because for four years, Trump largely ignored those problems and delegated them down because he was so obsessed with issues that didn't matter and so obsessed with retribution against his political enemies.
0: Now, um, when, you, when you speak about us being in danger and you talk about it from external sources, don't you think he also awoken... I always talk about uh, using racism as a tool, okay? I, I am, I'm one who actually know and believe race is a social construct and all that kind of stuff. I have no issues with race particularly. Uh, I find that the only reason I have to talk about it is because... Most people have yet to understand it's just a social construct. That said, don't you think he's using that deficiency within most Americans to pit us against each other and that people like yourself and specifically a young white guy like yourself have to take a more prominent position also on the racial front to kind of calm a lot of what he's starting to construct
1: within a few young people as well. So your thoughts on that? Yeah, look, you know, I think we all hoped that we could get the best out of Donald Trump. I mean, any time a president's elected, whether they're from your party or not, I think the hope should be we want to get the best out of that person. Instead, we saw Donald Trump pander to our absolute worst base instincts uh, as people, and and part of that uh, is is the racial animus that he stoked to advance his own policies. Now, if you had said this to me in year one and said, you know, Donald Trump's a bigot, Uh, I would have reacted reflexively and said, uh, you know, come on, that's probably not true. You can hate Republican policies and say that they're harmful to minorities, which in some cases, look, the party's got to reform. I mean, the party has absolutely got to be a bigger tent party. Those are valid criticisms. But to say that the man himself was a racist, I thought, you know, that's ridiculous. After two and a half years serving in that administration, I left thinking he was unquestionably a bigot because of direct experience. I mean, we had a meeting one time with Trump where he quite literally told the Secretary of Homeland Security, I want to increase immigration from Denmark, Finland, Iceland, Norway, Sweden. And I want you to end immigration from places like Somalia, Haiti, Ethiopia. What are the differences between those two groups of countries? The only thing I can really identify is uh, some of those countries, people have browner skin. And the other ones, they're white, blonde haired people. I mean, that to me... Was the most directly bigoted comment? I couldn't believe it was coming out of his mouth. But worse than that, Egberto, I couldn't believe that there were you know 12 other people in the room that were hearing that same thing, and didn't want to go tell the American public how disgusting this was. None of those people ever relayed that anecdote publicly, as far as I'm aware. Uh, but they should have. You did. Those people should have. Those people should have known better. And I did during the campaign. I mean, my whole point was. You know, people asked me, "Why'd you wait until the campaign?" Well, quite frankly, if I'd come out against Trump. The day after I left the administration in my own name, people would have stopped paying attention after a week with this news cycle. We needed them to pay attention to those anecdotes about this man's character just before they were deciding whether to rehire Or fire him as president. And damn, did I want them to fire him. So yeah, I kept my powder dry for a little while. People can question that tactically. That's fine. But I'm satisfied with the decision and the outcome.
0: uh, Let let me just give you some kudos here, Miles, uh, because you show an understanding of media dynamics very well. I'm I'm telling you, I do this every day. And the truth of the matter is every story after it has some some, uh, age on it, has a tendency to get massaged, masticated, and placed into whoever has the dominant sphere. And in, in the case of uh, Donald Trump, he could have used that that particular portion of his media to get the electoral majority. So you're 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 you read it exactly right as far as knowing exactly when to release information. You know who else knows when to release information? The guy that you worked for, Donald Trump. That's the truth.
1: He, he knows a, how to do it. Yeah, he's a master of distraction. Yeah, he's not very
0: smart. It's not very smart, but he knows how to use, he knows how to get to the carnality of people very well. Now, um, first of all, I, I am happy that, that, that you did what you did. I'm happy for that you came out as anonymous, and I'm also happy that you came out and put a face on it, because your job was pretty important with the administration, and having somebody at your level makes a difference. Now, the party, and, and I don't know if you, can, if you can help me understand this. Is the party as gullible as we think it is, or they're using their gullibility to hide who they really are?
1: Oh, I'm I'm gonna, if I have to pick between the two, I'm gonna say the latter. And it's pretty sad to see because a lot of these members of Congress, and I won't name them, but a, a number of senators and representatives that I knew well when I worked in the House of Representatives share my same personal opinions of Trump, Trumpism and the direction the Republican Party has gone. But so few of them have spoken up. And for the same reasons that we didn't see more people speak up from the administration, they're scared. I mean, Trump has has instilled fear in them that not only could they lose their jobs if they come out against him, but they'll, you know, he and his supporters will threaten their families and will threaten their futures and And I can attest to the fact that those are real fears. I mean, when I unmasked myself, you know, I had to leave my home. I had to leave my job. I had to hire a full-time personal security detail because of the death threats uh, and move from location to location. Now, no one's gotta play the violin for me. I knew that that was gonna happen, but that's the state of dissent in America today. And that's the environment that Donald Trump has fomented with his hateful rhetoric. If I'd come out against George W. Bush, who I worked for and who I admire, uh, you know, if I'd done that 20 years ago, or 15 years ago, you know, people would have attacked me politically, and then life would have gone on, I wouldn't have been on the run to prevent myself from getting shot. Uh, but that's, that's Donald Trump's America. That's the culture he's created. So look, I'm still a Republican, I want to reform the GOP. And I'm sure we'll get into that. I'm still a Republican, because of the ideas that I believe the Republican Party was founded upon, because I believe, the party of Lincoln saved the union. Uh, and ironically, the party of Lincoln may destroy the union now if we don't fix it. And I want to be a part of that solution. But I cannot condone someone who leads that party and leads America into danger by pitting its citizens against one another.
0: Interestingly, let me, let me ask this before I ask the, the most important question of this um, interview. Do you think people, because everybody would tell you Donald Trump lost the Senate, the House, and the presidency. So why is why why do you fear him? Is it really that you don't fear him, but you fear those who are really his sick offense that they may actually hurt people?
1: Yeah, you know it's interesting. Liz Cheney said something that I didn't know if I would hear a member of Congress say um, a few days ago. She said that there were members of Congress. Who wanted to impeach Donald Trump after the insurrection, but didn't because they quite literally feared for their lives. You know, you don't have to take it from me. Take it from Liz Cheney. I mean, she's saying her actual colleagues said they feared for their lives because they would go back home and worry that MAGA supporters would come to their house uh, because they'd shown themselves to be so violent. Now we're not talking about all MAGA supporters, we're talking about a small subset, a very small subset of Trump supporters that are resorting to violence to express their political views. But even that small subset of millions of people is a hell of a lot of people, and that's scary. And, uh, you know, that we're even talking about that in, a, in America's democracy is breathtaking to me. I mean, this is the type of conversation we would have uh, about a third-world country, yeah. you know, trying to deal with, uh, with turmoil from one authoritarian regime to another. I mean, we're talking about the world's oldest democracy right now. If that doesn't force people to look in the mirror, quite frankly, I don't know what does.
0: Miles, let's get to the crust now as far as you're one of the leaders in a new organization. Uh, Your intent with all these folks now to do what? I don't know if to ask if you're trying to take over, retake the Republican Party, or do you want to go with a third party? What's your intent?
1: Well, Alberto, you started off the, uh, the interview, I think, making a really important point that in our democracy, it's crucial that we have healthy opposition parties, uh, whether you're a Democrat or Republican. I, I think it's in your interest to want the other party to have healthy discourse, open debate and be reasonable, because at the end of the day, to create a majority making coalition in the United States, you pretty much have to reach across the aisle. Unless your party absolutely dominates in the election, you're going to have to reach across the aisle. So right now, even though the Democrats hold the Senate and the House and the White House, they still need Republican votes to do big things and to pass regular legislation. So we should all want the other party to be sane and rational and not secretly just root for our team and only our team. Unfortunately, right now, the GOP is sick. It is rotten to the core. And that shouldn't just be the concern of rational Republicans. It should be the concern of of all Democrats. And I admire Joe Biden, despite the policies we may disagree on. I admire him for saying that in his first few weeks in office and saying that he himself wants a healthier Republican Party. So, look, that's what we're trying to do. Uh, I wouldn't quite use the word takeover. I think what we're really trying to be is a rational insurgency within the GOP. So if you think about the Tea Party as a right wing insurgency, we want to be the common sense insurgency that fixes the party, brings it a little bit back towards the center and back towards principled governance so that we can work across the aisle and get things done. I mean, I can't believe that the idea of just getting things done is controversial. But of course, as soon as we announced this, you know, Trump came at us, uh, you know, days ago, uh, assailing this effort. I mean, this is an effort to get people to work together and get the party back on track not an effort to alienate people who voted for Donald Trump the first time or even the second time. We want those people, too, to say, all right, it's time to move beyond the person and move back to the principles. And that's not just a talking point. It's quite literally what we need to do. Every single day in the news, we just talk about the person, Donald Trump, who haunts the Republican Party like a specter, like a ghost that influences all of their decision making. A person shouldn't be influencing their decision-making. Their core principles should be, whether that's limited government or free minds, free markets, free people, whatever you want to say the GOP is about, that's what should influence its trajectory, not what one man thinks. And and so that's what we're trying to do. And what our movement is going to undertake is an effort to try to support the sane, rational Republicans, oppose some of the radicals, and invest in what we call a deeper pro-democracy bench around the country, people who are really willing to defend our institutions, even if it means uh, political inconvenience. So that's our goal. We'll see if we're successful. And, and if we're not uh, successful in that and we can't reform the GOP, then then maybe it's, uh, you know, the more extreme uh, version of what you're talking about. Maybe we're, you know, in Star Wars, in the X-wing fighter, you know, fight, uh, fighters, you know, going into the Death Star to blow it up. I mean, <laughs> we may have to detonate the Republican Party and create something new. From the rubble if it won't reform.
0: well you know um uh, first of all i spoke to um bill crystal a few days ago and bill crystal said well he's not a signature he admires what uh, you guys are doing but i think he sort of had the feeling that this was more that that the latter is what was gonna be occurring as opposed to the former i'm not sure but um in it 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 it, it still baffles me that we we are here now I think if I understand what you're saying, you're going to use 22 to try to bring in candidates that reflect what the GOP's tenets are supposed to be. And if that is unsuccessful, then going for 2024, you may have to take other measures that if am I reading with between the lines correctly?
1: Yeah, no, I think you are. I mean, look, this is fungible in that, you know, events can really change the, uh, the direction that we go. I mean, the presidential race is going to have an impact on it and uh, you know, and how candidates do in 2022, but big picture, you've got the beats largely right that we've got a couple of cycles here to see if we can fix the Republican party. But if we can't, you know, we can't wait around forever and let radicalism corrupt the whole thing. I mean, people like Marjorie Taylor green should not be duly elected representatives of the United States Congress. Now, The the people of Colorado have chosen her and we hope we can convince those people, our neighbors, uh, to not do that again. But if we can't convince our brothers and sisters around this country to make smarter decisions about our representatives, then those of us who are ready to make those smarter decisions need to bind together. And that might be uh, through a third party. Will that hurt the GOP? Yeah, that'll probably hurt the GOP. It'll probably make it harder and steal votes away from the Republican Party. Uh, but, But quite frankly, I can't imagine Supporting a GOP that allows something like January sixth to happen again, so we're going to have to monitor this clo- closely. I mean, you know, really, the the fate of our democracy is what's at stake here. And I go back to, you know, that sounds like hyperbole to some, but Not, no, I'm, I'm blocks from from right. where this, yeah, I'm blocks from where this happened. I mean, I was, you know, I was standing out there as people were storming the United States Capitol in MAGA hats. I mean, I've never seen anything like it in my life. I can only imagine it was. Similar to the feeling of being at Ground Zero as the towers came down, I mean I can only that 's the only image that I can think of that was that you know breathtaking that happened in this country in my lifetime um, and, and I think they 're comparable Well, let me tell you um, I'm, uh, for the
0: characters that are in there uh, young administ- former administration officials like yourself, older stalwarts of the party, many of them whom uh, I really have a lot of respect for. I think you guys can pull it out. Please do pull it out because those very progressive folks, very liberal folks like myself, we want to have somebody that we can actually, uh, that we can actually have real debates with. I think it is important and all the interviews that I've done on the other side of the thing, that's, that's the thing that I've said. And in fact, I've wrote a book called, It's Worth It, How to Talk to Your Right-Wing Relatives, Friends and Neighbors, because I understand something important that you're saying. And that is if we want to accomplish big things in this country, we don't need 50 plus one. We have to have the buy-in of most Americans. I know the Republican Party many times have not done that because of the way the electoral college is set up. You really don't have to have that very much of a majority. But I think the country is happier. The country is more effective if we can actually have that. And I, I commend what you and your courts are doing because I think if it's not done, I'm from Central America, Panama. I know what it looks like. Most mm-hmm. Americans don't. I know what this I know I saw this for what it really was. I saw January 6th for what it really was. So what you're doing is hero's work, and very important, so I commend you on that. Chief of Staff to the United States Secretary of Homeland Security, Miles Taylor, who also is anonymous from that viral New York Times article, and the author of Anonymous. A warning, Anonymous. Uh, Give me a closer statement.
1: Hey, well, I appreciate it, my friend. Some days, I, some days, I wake up wishing I was still anonymous. <laughs> but, uh, but look, you know, you made you made such a fantastic point at the end here. And I always tell people, uh, as much as they want to complain about Washington D.C. being broken, Washington is not what's broken. The founders designed a system very well that was meant to reflect the attitudes of the populace. Washington's not broken. We are broken. We are broken, and this, come, this goes down to the door-to-door grassroots level. That's why your book is important. That's why others' statements that we need to come together uh, across partisan lines in our communities are so important, because that's really what's going to get us out of this mess. As insipid as it sounds, reaching across the aisles in our own houses and not in the U.S. House of Representatives is where this is going to start. So I hope people really take that to heart, and, and I'm grateful that you're spreading that message. Miles Taylor, it was my pleasure to have you on board. My friend, thank you so much we
0: spend a lot of time deconstructing the news trying to trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand we try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes it flies above the fray etc if you really like these videos that we do i want to ask a big favor please go ahead number 1 subscribe to our channel and number 2 please join if you can thank you so kindly for watching keep watching please remember to share we must populate the entire internet